Hi, I'm Eric Lee of Starfish Coaching, and you're listening to the Business Coaching for Creatives podcast. Tune in for business success tips and interviews with other successful entrepreneurs so that you can shortcut your path to success. Welcome back to Starfish Coaching. I'm Eric Lee. Today, for my Founders Interview Series, I have the honor of interviewing Andre Garrison. He's a serial entrepreneur with multiple businesses, so I'm going to be asking him to give us some secrets and tips for his success. And now I'd like to introduce Andre Garrison. Andre, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Eric. I appreciate it. Yes, it's, it's my pleasure for sure to have you on the show. You've, um, you've, you've got so much experience building, buying businesses and all that. I thought it'd be great to just have you on the show and share some of your uh, secrets and tips that you can give to fellow entrepreneurs as they build their businesses. Maybe we can start by just um, giving us a high level of what you've done because you've done so much all-encompassing. I, I can't cover it, so I'll let you do that part. Yeah, I've uh, had a number of uh, number of careers. They all sort of uh, um, surround around uh, business as a general thing. But um, I, I guess going back, uh, I, uh, part of what I've done, what I've done, and what I do is uh, I'm a writer, I'm a creative writer, I'm a published author. Uh, so a lot of the things that I like to do, even in business writing, business plans, that kind of stuff. That's sort of how I sort of got the start. I guess looking way back, you know, always in restaurants, uh, restaurant management, that kind of stuff. I like working with people, did that from high school. So it was an easy thing to transition to once I got into university. Um, and I use that as a, as a jumping off point uh, for my writing, because uh, you have a lot of time on your hands. Um, loved sales. That was uh, you know one of the highest selling keg waiters back in my day. Um, so it was just, uh, I looked at everything as, uh, you know, you have a little territory, your five table section, your six table section, that's your sales territory. Uh, you be prepared, you help other people be prepared, and uh, you're there to make money. And that's how I looked at things from there. Um, my big uh, uh, leap, I guess, into international businesses when I moved to, I moved to Asia. I went to uh, Taiwan in uh, 1997, um, a little bit early, but I wanted to, uh, I was fascinated by you know, Chinese diplomacy and the Hong Kong handover. So I went there to write about the Hong Kong handover. When I landed, of course, I needed a, needed a job. So I had two options. Uh, one was write children's books for Disney. Uh, and the other one was get into technical writing. So I got into the technical writing and uh, was very good at it. Uh, you know, very structured in all of my writing. Um, and I worked for a consumer electronics company. Um, we did basically manufactured scanners, laptops. Uh, I was part of the team that did the first digital camera out of Taiwan. Um, really, really liked it. I ended up from there getting into writing uh, online help systems. From there, yeah, I mean, in, in, in Asia at that time, so uh, I was in Shinju, Taiwan, which uh, is the Silicon Valley of Asia. So you meet a lot of expatriates. Um, um, I, you know, kin myself to them. Uh, we, we all hung out, drank beer, got to know each other. Um, and eventually, uh, one of them, you know, approached me and said, hey, you know, I work for one of the biggest networking companies in the world. Uh, I'm number three with that company, and we need to launch a new uh, new product uh, into a new market. And I think you'd be perfect for the job. Are you interested? And without a doubt, I just said absolutely. Um, years later, I you know uh, after working for that company, I asked him. I said, Why did you pick me? You had you know, way more talented individuals to be able to do that. He said, Well, I saw what you did. I saw how quickly you did things, and you didn't ask for a business plan. 
because if, if I knew how to do it myself, I didn't need anybody. <laughs> so that launched my international sales career, per se. Um, so basically, our job was we had a, a little widget, a little $10 widget, which technically was just a, a USB adapter. Um, so my mm -hmm. job is to take this little $10 USB adapter and say, hey, from a retail standpoint or from a, a, an installation standpoint, you could just ship this out to an end user. They could plug it right into the back of their computer and voila, they've got internet access. So uh, the hard part though was, was you know, taking this, this little $10 widget and how do you get it in front of all of these corporations? Um, right. So my job was, you know, okay, so well, who do I know at at and Nobody. Who do I know at Time Warner Cable? Nobody. So Quest <laughs> Bell, zero, nada. So very arduous, you know, looking at all these executives and who I have to approach, none of them who I am. So what I did was I partnered with a distribution company in the United States that had salesmen in, in all 50 states. Um, and they provided, you know, let's say A to M. So they provided A to M products for these companies. So raw materials, fiber optics, cabling products, you know, things like that. Um, but none of the tech products that we have. So I basically, my job, I went around from state to state and trained all their salespeople. And, uh, and they took me to high level meetings with all these people that I wanted to meet because they had established relationships. So one of the first things that I've always said about sales is emulate rather than innovate. You don't have to recreate. Mm -hmm. Just follow through with people that have already done it and networking and make partnerships with these people. And they'll basically walk you in the door. So from there, literally state to state to state to state, we landed, you know, basically, uh, all the big companies because that was part of what we were doing and i took uh, almost single-handedly a small ten dollar widget to uh, ten million dollars in sales in the first year wow um, one of the big things that i i did in those days because there, we did have competition um was anytime i sat down to a meeting you know i know that there's 10 other meetings after and we met with aol and make, met with microsoft and stuff there was two days of meetings and people lined up every 20 minutes like it was a job interview so I went in basically, you know, not wanting 100% of the business, but, you know, after 10%, 10% of the business. And one of the tricks that I learned very early on in life from a sales perspective is that you're always making a sale. Everything you do, every conversation that you have, you're making right. a sale. Um, and if you try and focus in on your needs, like, oh, I need to sell this, I need to, I want to do good for my company, you're approaching it the wrong way. Fundamentally, if you walk into any room and say, hey, I can double your business in the next year. Or I can increase your, your gross sales by $10 million in the next year. And it's not going to cost you anything. Are you interested? Of course, they're going to say yes. And you tell them how you're going to help them. Not helping yourself, how you're going to help them. How you're going to streamline the efficiency of their installers. How you're going to help their marketing team, you know, advertise this stuff, make it easy. How end users, all their clients are going to love them because you're making their life easier and making them self-sufficient by, you know, installing these little widgets um, um, by themselves. Right. Um, so by doubling their business, they don't know that you're putting their business. But the point is, you're approaching it from, let me help you. Um, and all business, ever since then, I've always done that. To this day, I'm in commercial real estate, and that's how I help my clients. I don't worry about the paycheck. I worry about helping them. The money always comes. Right. And I get a lot of uh, referrals and you know, people sending other people my way because they're so grateful for the help. So another thing that was a big a big factor in my life that I've always learned is know your product, know your market, and know your competition. So those three things, however they are, whether you're the Cadillac of you know the networking industry, 
or you're the Hyundai of the networking industry, that's fine because there's a market for both. But once, once you understand who you are and how you're positioned and how you compete, hey, great. We don't have all the bells and whistles of a Cadillac, but guess what? We're at the price point that you need. We also right. have a, a better warranty. So where's where's the value and associativeness? Competition, people say, oh, well, there's too much competition. Competition is good because it means that there's a market for something. It means that that market is very, very strong. Going back to emulate rather than innovate, you can be an entrepreneur and you can come up with a wonderful idea of a product that nobody's ever seen before. Oh my God, this is fantastic. But there's, there's no market for that. So you've got a huge uphill battle to try and get this product out there into that. So you're doing all the legwork. I can come along and say, Eric, oh my God, you did a fantastic job with that, but you know, here's, here's where you failed, here's where that. I can walk in, take all of your stumblings, all your pitfalls, all of the mistakes that you made, not do them, and be exactly where you are for a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time. So why, re why, why go out, you know, I'm not saying to people, don't invent things, don't come up with ideas. I'm just saying from a business standpoint, the quickest way to success, emulate rather than innovate. Yes. No, that's great. That's, uh, you know, I heard two very important uh, points there. One is to know your unique proposition, your, your unique value proposition, whether you're high or low, there's a market for everyone. You just need to be clear with what your offerings are in your market. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, I love that, that term, emulate, don't innovate. Yep. There's a lot of effort that you put into innovation and someone can just come in. So those are great tips that you've uh, shared with us there. Um, I want to go back to when well, it seems like throughout your whole career, you've been offered opportunity and opportunity is great, but I always believe that opportunity is a mixture of timing and action, right? Opportunity can present itself, but if you have the fear that stops you from the action, well, it's no good. So for you, it seems like you just went for it. Talk a little bit about um, your perspective of, of fear. Like, was there even a worry that, oh, I'm going to go to, you know, China and, and, and grow this and all of that. It's all new, right? So was there any doubt in your mind? And how, how would you recommend someone overcome that in those situations? Um, not, not really. I mean, you know, some people have clear paths of exactly what they're going to do from when they're very young, et cetera. So, you know, I, I did these things that, that I, I, I was always, always follow the path. I'm a confident guy. You know, failure is a part of success. You're not failing you're not succeeding because you don't know what failure is um you know it, it, it helps you get better um i'm also adaptive and reactive to um things that happen i like to say you know i don't you know you shouldn't put out fires you should smoke detect so i try and think hey how, how can this go sideways what can happen you can never try and cover all eventualities but you can convince yourself that this is a good path because you've eliminated 95 percent of the, the the problems that might you might face then you're already aware and, and prepared to, to take things on as they happen. You, know, you can keep hitting that wall and hitting that wall and hitting the wall. Sometimes you need to step back and walk around it. You know, just, just think outside yeah. the box. It's also good with that is, is you don't have to be self-reliant. You know, I realized when I partnered with that, uh, that uh, distribution company in the States, for example, or even with all the, uh, um, the people I was networking with in Asia at the time, that they opened up so many other opportunities for me. Um, the networking aspect, even problems that I needed to solve, again, uh, 
why innovate? I'm not standing there by myself in Asia going, how do I get around? I'm, I'm meeting people. Hey, you've been here five years. What did you do? Taking the advice of others. Right. You know? And that, that transpires to exactly what you need to do when you start a business. You start a business and, you know, money's tight. Yes. You're trying to do all the jobs where all the hats of that person in the business, you're going to fail because you have a core competency. It's your idea. Do you need to do the books, the accounting, the cooking, the cleaning, the, all the aspects of that job? At to start, maybe you do. But once you define what your core competency is, somebody else can do those other tasks and do them better than you can. The money that you spend yourself doing it, thinking that you're saving money, you're actually losing money because you're taking away yourself from what you want. So yes. utilize other people. It's, it's integral to your business growth. Also, too, by helping to support these other the bookkeepers, the, the cleaners, the, these other people that you're worried about paying, guess what they're doing? They're going to be your customers because you're helping their business and they're going to help your business. Right. Learning by being in China, one of the biggest things that you do when you're over there as a business is unlike North American business where it's like me, 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 one of the first things they do is like, hey, Eric, if we're going to do business together, I'm going to invest $10,000 in your and then you're going to invest ten thousand dollars in our business. Then we're, we don't want each other to fail, and that's sort of a business model. I akin it right. basically to um, um, Douglas fir trees. Douglas fir trees are some of the biggest trees in the world, but they have a very very shallow root system. The only way Douglas firs can survive is that they need to be near other Douglas firs so that all their roots underground intertwine. So they basically they bolster or hold each other up, like in big rows. These big, huge trees can't grow without the help of all these other trees. They rely on each other. And that same logic and ideology in business is one business can fail. Several businesses helping are less likely to fail because they support each other and they've got each other's backs. Right. So knowing and understanding that and being an Asian, not being afraid to ask for help or advice, you know, I'll use that advice in my own way, but that's what gives me the confidence because I know I'm never alone. And in business, right. you should never be alone. Right. That's great. I, I love that analogy with the Douglas fir tree. It paints a perfect picture for that. Many people go into business thinking that they have to do it themselves and they have to succeed on their own. And that's actually, frankly, what stops them in their path of taking on new opportunity because they've got this big beast of burden, if you will, like I, I like to call it that, but this big thought of, of so much work because they're not leveraging others, like you said. Yeah. So I, I think that's a great tip. So uh, tell me a bit about your 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 multiple businesses because after the the tech industry being sales and all that stuff, you was that when you went to buy business and build your own or you've been always doing that? Well, um, understanding, I mean, obviously, you know, traveling and living in other places in the world and stuff, um, you know, doing business plans, doing that kind of stuff. Uh, I got I got good at that. I really really like that. I would see businesses. You know, I've got a diverse background. I was in restaurants and, and uh, you know, I've done all you know, sales jobs. I've been in the insurance industry, the tech game. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an author, published author, as an example, uh, just to sidetrack for a little bit. Um, the first book that I, I wrote, I went like, oh, yeah, Harry, here you go. And I sent it out to 33 publishers and I got 33 rejections. Uh, <laughs> it, it didn't stop me. It basically just said, OK, maybe maybe my book wasn't good enough. Um, then I, I, I found a book. I did my research. 
know, if you're going to do business with a company, a big company, you're going to apply for a job, research that company. You know, companies will tell you what they're looking for when they post the job posting. When you respond, respond exactly what, what they're looking for and asking for. Right. So I realized that even though my book would be great, I just wasn't marketing it in the proper perspective. Um, so I bought a book. It was called The Writer's Market. And it detailed all the publishing companies, who bought what kinds of books, et cetera, et cetera. I did my research. I also found out that it cost $20,000 for a publishing company to publish a book. You know, and I'm like, okay, and they might get thousands of submissions and only take you know, publish one book. So then what I did was I still wrote books and stuff. But then I said, okay, here's what I think would be a good book to write. I wrote a letter stating that here's here's my book. Here's basically how it compares to other books in the market. Here's how that publishing company can make money by publishing my book. So basically the same sort of uh, uh, mantra that I've been spewing uh, since we were chatting. You know, I was basically selling them on me making business for them. Um, and um, I sent it to 11 publishers. Uh, I hadn't even written the book. It just so so then I went and I started to write the book right. because it's all about marketing. So I, I, I did that and I put that in place. So from what I, when I got into doing the, uh, getting into the business world of buying and selling companies and starting other companies was largely because I was doing so well running huge billion dollar organizations, whether it be as director of this or director of that, with other people's money, mind you. I'm like, hey, a lot of these people have lots of money. I was doing fairly good too. I certainly wasn't about having several incomes in US dollars and being paid to me. And so I was like, rather than just invest in markets, I started the, you know, buying and selling houses, flipping houses, getting into that. Um, I uh, uh, then, you know, made a mistake and got into the restaurant business, and <laughs> first restaurant, um, then my first hotel, then my second restaurant. And the big joke is in the restaurant business, what's the quickest way to a million dollars in the restaurant business? Start with $2 million. Um, <laughs> You know, people don't understand. And I was a successful business. It lasted 12 years, 15 years. I stayed on for seven or eight, that sort of thing. Um, and then got into, you know, um, various aspects of a caviar company, got into major retail, retail development. And I, I really liked the idea of not so much business ownership per se, even though the fundamentals of business is the same, sell, do well, keep your costs low, you know, uh, you know, emulate rather than innovate, you know, market, sell, that kind of stuff. The type of business is very different. The type of customer, the service-based business, the retail business versus that. And I like the challenges of taking a, a business um, and taking it to the next step. Um, and so, you know, I've had a lot of tech businesses. Some didn't turn out so well from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Uh, I did uh, search engine stuff. Way back in the day, you're going to find this funny. In the late 90s, I came up with uh, uh, essentially an MLS system. Um, I wanted to take uh, investors in Asia and take investments, real estate investments in Canada and North America and present it to them in some sort of format. Um, we had lawyers involved. We had the whole shooting match and stuff like that. Gave up on it. And a couple of years later, MLS came up. I'm not saying it's a coincidence, but I'm pretty sure that that was my... My, my egg to hatch. Somebody, somebody, and that's fine. That's what entrepreneurship is. It's somebody taking an idea and expanding on it. That's what uh, inventions are all about, going to patent offices and expanding. Again, emulating, not coming up from scratch. And, and you know, and that's the problem that I faced. Right. I didn't know how big to take it. So uh, that's what got me into being an entrepreneur. 
um, small case, big case. Um, there's, uh, as you know, you're an entrepreneur yourself. There's uh, several types of uh, entrepreneurs. There's startup entrepreneurs. There's uh, mid-level growth. There's scaling, and then there's ones that you know take it global. Um, right. You know, I've done various levels of each. I find that I like to take something that's struggling um, and helping it back to the next level now. But uh, so I guess how I got into uh, into commercial real estate was a big part of it is helping helping companies first and foremost either sell or buy, find something, finding gems and turning it around and making it happen. Right. That's great. So I, I get asked this question a lot because I also have multiple businesses like you. So I'm going to ask you this question. How do you juggle between all of the businesses and all of the, the pots that you're, you're uh, firing away at, at the stove there? Well, fu fundamentally, I mean, they're not all dissimilar and they're not all directly alike. But as I mentioned earlier, I rely on other people. I rely on, on people to not perhaps manage things, but you know, I, I've accountants, I've got bookkeepers, I've got consultants, I've got uh, key people that if I need help in distribution, you know, hey, I call them, you know, immediately. Um, I have had the same thing with the, the caviar company, for example. So how that came about was um, uh, father and son uh, needed some help writing, you know, some, uh, marketing material and stuff, and business plan on how to expand. So I uh, I went ahead and helped them uh, do that, and they said, well, hey, you know, this is great. Can you can you help us, you know, take this to the next level? I said, well, you actually can't afford me. And they said, well, well, we'll give you a part of the company. Just deliver on that. They had sold to end users and stuff. They had a nice little niche market going. I ended up getting them into an airline, into major uh, uh, hotels, got them into Costco, got them into Whole Foods, got them into Walmart. Um, that then launched me because Walmart's like, oh my God, this, these are products we didn't think we'd ever carry. Can you get us this and this? And I'd be, sure. You know, and then whatever they wanted, I'd turn around and reach out and talk to various people and organic peanut butter and et cetera, et cetera. So, to juggle something is basically a be organized to start with. Start with a yeah. solid foundation so that you can build on. So that if anything happens, you're only going to fall as far as your strongest structure. And rely on other people. I mean, a simple thing, and I've mentioned it before, is core competency. I'm very good at sales. I'm very good at sort of the organizational side of it. Other people are good at you know running the day to day, handling the minutia, project managers, you know, people that deal with people. I'm a little bit hard edged. That's fine. People like that. You know, I'm a straight shooter. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, even the biggest companies in the world, if you compare uh, uh, Samsung and Apple products, even Apple knows that Samsung screens are superlative to theirs. So all the Apple products have Samsung screens on them because core competency. Why create something mm -hmm. when something just is good and, you know, rely on the help of others to a degree. I mean, you're not going to hire an accountant or a bookkeeper blindly and not understand at least a little bit about bookkeeping because they could be robbing you blind. But just enough that you don't need to, you know, as, you know, Ivan Meisner says, you know, working, you know, on your business rather than working in your business. So right. If you want to grow your business, if you want to have other businesses, um, in my case, the businesses I have, some of them, they all rely on retail. So I just fulfill the channel with other companies. Sometimes buying a company is better than outsourcing the products from a certain company or, you know, somebody's retiring and you're like, I can put A and B together. I know C can run it. I have D, D's money. I have F's, you know, and I'm just, I'm just basically yeah. the guy putting together the biggest stage show, smoking mirrors and you know, bringing the <laughs> audience in and uh, like a producer. 
<laughs> Very humble. Well, you know what I see is you're an opportunist, which is really good. Because there's a lot of times where opportunity presents itself and you don't even know that it's there and you let the, that go by. So that's the, uh, one key thing that I'm hearing here. Now, both you and I are very similar in the sense that we've got a creative side to us and we're very entrepreneurial. So maybe help me understand a bit from your perspective, the creative side and the sales, because you're very strong in sales. Uh, I'll be stereotypical and say that a lot of creative people just are not good at promoting themselves, right? There's, there's that typical stereotype. So maybe speak a bit to that. How, how, how do you balance the, the two or, or is it even a struggle for you? Not really. I mean, one of the first things that I realized even when I was writing was that you know, I, I need to monetize this. It is my creative side, but you know, uh, I'm like, you know, I look at it from a business standpoint. I'm writing to, because I had stories to get out that I wanted to tell and things that I wanted to write about. And I've written comedy scripts and television scripts. And I've done all that because I like doing that. And a big part of that is, is to monetize it. It's basically, it's, it's putting that. I've done apps, the same thing, business plans. They're there to, to help ultimately that side. Um, I have so much respect for, for artists, uh, whether it be musicians or physical artists or dancers or whatever, that, that essentially give up their jobs and, and just jump into their craft. That takes right. so much um, you know, um, courage to be able to do that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, then it's the people, the business-minded people, that they need to help them monetize that because if they love what they do, they'll never, never need to work in their life because they love it. They need to live and survive. Too, you know? And that's where companies like publishing companies and record companies come in. They go, oh my God, that guy's a good singer. And it's not exploitation. It's sort of, you know, a symbiotic relationship. You're taking somebody's talent and you're recognizing and saying, look, I can help you. Um, you know, so opportunities. Yes, definitely. And for me, uh, it's, it's, no, I read a lot. I, 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 I like to stay creative. I like doing word puzzles, keep myself sharp. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's, 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 you know, that creative side, it helps balance. It's, you know, I, whether you're left brain or right brain, I'm not sure of the physiology as to which one does what, you know, and whether I'm, you know, I, I, I need to, to, to have both sides because if I was just this automatonic business guy, robot all the time <laughs> and not creative, I would probably lose some of um, my charm when it came to the sales side. You know, yeah, I'm gonna stop every sure. now and again and smell the flowers and appreciate the, the important things in life. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, and if you help people too, you know, what, what's mm -hmm. to say that they're, they're not painters or businesses or you know, however they, you know, all all you know, restaurants are is, is an art. You know, it's uh, you know the chef trying to get his food out. It's it's all technically art. Doing business and sales is an art, art of the sale, the art of the deal. So I think they're very, you know, tied much closer together than some people realize. And it's people like you right. and I, the entrepreneurs, that realize that, you know, that duality, um, possessing that duality allows you to be successful on either side. Yeah, that's, that's great. Throughout everything I've been hearing from your successes, I can see one common theme, which is the way that you approach sales and how it's about helping the other person. Maybe we'll wrap up and just talk about that because that is an overall theme. Uh, share with us that tip for, for, from yourself. In early in life, I mean, I, I grew up without a father. Um, so one of the things I always wanted to do 
just be able to get back. Um, I've been a big brother for 28 years. Uh, I've with Big Brother Assistance Program. Um, I've been a mentor with the Vancouver Board of Trade, um, you know, helping teach students and stuff that want to follow, you know, again, emulate somebody that's, that's, that's done something that they aspire to do. Um, so for anybody, even all my clients, um, I'm, I'm brutally honest. I will, you know, if I can help them keep their business instead of selling it by following 10 steps, I would prefer that than, you know, have them abandon it. If they're just bad business owners, then so be it. Um, but um, at the end of the day, it's, you know, by helping these people, you know, it reminds me of, of when I was younger and when I was going through business and stuff like that. I didn't really have mentors, but I, I picked little pieces of things that, that, that people said that I admired. In some cases, though, it's okay to share that wisdom and, and learn from these people because that's what we're here for. Pretty lonely ride if we try to do it ourselves and you know, surround mm -hmm. ourselves by like-minded people and smart people and know whether you fit in to help people or you're part of a, a bigger collective of that help um, is, is very important to me. Um, you know, I do what I do now. I'll use people's services even though I don't need them because I know they need the help. You know, yeah, I could do that. I'm in a better position. And, you know, I know it'll come back to me down the road in karma or kindness or, you know, that person will say, hey, you know what, this person is really nice. I've got a referral for you to, you know, for this real estate or something like that. And if not, then then so be it. But I right. need to balance all of the, you know, the things in my life in that way, shape, and way. Because, uh, you know, I, I don't like to, to, to walk alone. I don't like to be alone. I have you know, networking circles. I have mastermind circles. And, you know, people that, uh, that are constantly engaging and helping and helping better me. And, and I contribute. I'd like to think I contribute my fair share um, and that's important great yeah no for sure and I, I like I really like your approach to almost everything like you said even dating right everything is a sale and you, you what what light do you put it in is it a win-lose or win-win situation um, I really like your approach to that and it seems seems like that is one of the keys to your success so maybe if you can share a bit of your perspective on that well, yeah, so basically, anytime you, you have a conversation with somebody, it's essentially it's a sales. Either I'm selling you on my point of view or you're selling me you on your point of view. Um, and as long as you're, you know, you're open-minded and, and listen, because at the end of the day, even if I say, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help your company, I'm going to double your business, triple your business and stuff, you can still say no. So the takeaway has to be everything, if it's not going to, the sale's not going to go your way, it's a learning experience, a way to, to, grow your company to improve your sales pitch to improve your mannerisms or just to just to be enlightened somewhat you know so it's like so eric you didn't you didn't like this why you no know? oh oh it's too big okay so a smaller version like that yeah oh you don't like the color oh so a red one a blue one a whatever reason at least then i have something to take away from that if it's a design issue then so be it we could change the design to match you know the population subjective thing rather than an objective thing then we need to change the you know what makes this important or sellable etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, if it's just bad quality altogether then you know we need to either lower our marketability okay we're not even the Hyundai we're the Hugo you know we're the Eastern <laughs> European car you're lucky to get wheels on this bad boy and so yeah. but if that's the case then you know you again you need to understand where that fits in 
but always leave with, if you're not going to get a yes in a sale, with information. Information that's going to help improve the next time around. Some people, blindly, they don't know why they do it. They'll walk up to every girl in the bar, get all the no's, but chances are, by doing it a hundred times, <laughs> volumes and numbers, they might even get a little bit better. You know, might come up with being crude, like, hey, sleep with me. You know, no, and then down to the point, can I buy you a drink? Yes. Ah, that one yes. <laughs> so the success runs. Now, some people don't like to work on sheer numbers. They'd rather pinpoint a target market and, you know, so the sex rate is higher so that they're being more efficient, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, those are dynamics that we don't need to get into in this, in this chat. But that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's how you approach things. Um, and how I look, you know, most salespeople with good sales managers, you know, hey, you don't go in and say, hey, how about this? No, you don't leave. You say, okay, why not? What's let me call you back in two weeks if I come up with a different version or fix this or et cetera, et cetera. Like I said, when I went after all those big companies, I didn't want their business. I wanted to help their business. And I said, by giving me a chance, I, you know, I, and I would say, you, I know you're a smart businessman. You don't put all your eggs in one basket. Surely you've got multiple suppliers of products because if there's ever a chipset or a shortage, depending on where you're getting it from, you always want to make sure you have another backup product that's been tested and qualified. So let's get in the door with that. And then that often turns into getting more business because you're there to help. They like that. It goes a long way when you help companies. You know, it's like the, the old, uh, um, um, I think it, it started out as a, a, like a joke, but the idea behind um, selling paint. You know, what you do is you say, hey, I'm giving away paint. You're like, how can you give away paint? You're not making any money. Well, I make a lot of money because I'm giving away the paint, but I'm making all the money on the brushes, on the rags, on the cloths, on the turpentine, on the rollers, on the trays, on the, all the things that are actually the cheap things. You know, that's where you're making all your money on. So it's right. all, you know, it's not, it's not sleight of hand. It's basically you walk in trying to get 10% of the business and you get 80% of it somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. Some great sales tip there for sure. Know your customer, right? And what they like or don't like present it in a light that's a win-win and really to help. And from there you reap other rewards. Why not? Yeah, exactly. that's great. Awesome. Lever but, lever lever leverage, le leverage relationships as much as possible. Yes, that's another great tip. Some people, a lot of people are what I call lone rangers and you know, they, they think they, they only can do it themselves, but it's so wrong, so different. Yeah, that's I've awesome. always said that you don't get a better education, necessarily a better education going to Harvard than you do wherever we went to school. But what you're paying $30,000 a term for is networking. You know, you're yes. going to school with senators' sons and industrialists. So when you're done and you've got a diploma, hey, you reach out to them. That's what you're getting. You're getting access to things that you wouldn't normally have if you went to the school. That's basically what it is. Leveraging relationships. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Andre. It's, uh, it's been a great conversation with you. There's lots of gold nuggets here that we can pick from and, and use. So I thank you for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to the Business Coaching for Creatives podcast. If you like this episode, please be sure to follow my podcast so you don't miss any upcoming content. For more information about Starfish Coaching, you can check out my YouTube channel connect with me on social media, or go to www.starfishcoaching.net. I'm Eric Lee, and I can turbocharge your success.